All right, Seth, I'm about to give you a victory lap that you didn't even know was coming. All right, I'm excited. I did not plan this. I did. I, okay. So a very wise person started telling me about a year ago about the issue with seed oils. And that person was you. You were very prescient about this. You were talking about this at a time where no one was talking about this. You were sounding the alarm on canola oil, on seed oils. You were checking ingredient lists of packages and saying, I'm not going to eat this because of seed oils. And I thought you were a little cuckoo at first and I didn't really understand it. But I've actually gone deep down the rabbit hole and I think you're totally right. And I think you were way ahead of the curve. And I think there are actually business opportunities that we could explore here and a couple that I'll throw your way. But first, I just want to give you a victory lap. So shout out to you. You were totally right. And I was totally wrong. And congratulations. I don't know where you found out about this, but that was very prescient of you. Thank you very much. Yeah, we need uh, we need an assistant to find the tape and roll it for us right now. To, uh... Yeah, this is this is where you start going like, oh, in episode 14, Seth first talked about this. Like Chamath, <laughs> the victory lap. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With Chamath, is just like, hey, Nick, I want you to pull up the slides I sent you. And then he's just like, yeah. it's like, all right, Chamath, you make a lot of predictions. So you, you're going to hit them. <laughs> yeah, that's the key. Is I think you just throw out a million predictions and you just hope that some of them land and then you call them back later and that's just that's just the way it goes yeah. you get this compounding effect like people you get new listeners and those listeners aren't going to go back and listen to it they're just going to assume you were right and give you the credit of being right all the time but yeah you're right about this you totally nailed this one i think you were 100 right about this thank you yeah i would i think this is a good idea to riff on also and and it's still a big opportunity and seems yeah seems, totally i mean it's not i honestly haven't been i haven't been doing much about trying to avoid seed oils to be honest but I probably should be. So, can you tell me, like, how do you find out about this? Because you were way ahead of the curve. I'm now starting to see a lot of people talk about this on Twitter, but it was not prominent when you were talking about it at first. Mm, I probably found it. I probably first heard about it on Twitter, but I don't remember, honestly, exactly where I heard about it. Yeah, I've gone a little bit down the rabbit hole. I've been watching YouTube videos about why it's exactly bad, bad and I think that there's some... I'm glossing over a lot of the details and basically being like an armchair scientist, but seed oil is bad. It sounds like there's basically like a bad effect that happens because of the fact that you have to like get these oils to such high temperature when you create them. Mm -hmm. And then it's really not good for you to stay in your system for a while. Yeah. And it's been this like secret thing where it was pitched as this heart healthy alternative, especially back in the day when the way it started was like McDonald's used to make their fries in beef fat. And one guy had a heart attack and basically went on this crusade to say, no, we need to go to these heart healthy alternatives. We need to stop, sound the alarm, start using canola oil and all these other seed oils are much healthier. They had much less saturated fat. That was like the big thing that we're pitching as the benefit was much lower saturated fat content relative to like beef fat and other animal fats. And lo and behold, it's actually not very good for you. And it's been linked to like all these diseases, heart health, Alzheimer's even, like there have been a lot of links and a lot of correlations. It's, it's honestly been mind blowing. Is is trans fat another part of what like the crusade was against? Because I remember a whole thing about trans fat growing up, or it was yeah, saturated fat difference. That is a part of it. I have to look up the exact issue. I'm sure I could look it up while we're here, but yeah, that was part of it too. It was just like this crusade against trans fats, and I honestly don't know what trans fats are. I'm just like playing armchair scientist. But shit, like basically, my takeaway was canola oil and seed oil is bad, and yeah. Yeah, like yeah. good olive oil, good. Beef fat, beef tallow, like that is something that's good. And I've seen even like chefs start to cook with that guy, Miles Snyder, has been talking about using beef tallow for a little while. And that yeah. was actually just to throw a business idea at you. I think there's actually an opportunity since like I didn't know anything about beef tallow. I'm almost wondering if you can create a premium brand around beef tallow 
and then get that to start to circulate and be like the definitive brand for it mm -hmm. and start from there and even start using like creating a lard product or some like pig fat. And then I think there's even an extension of that too, which is like, what is a vegetarian or like plant-based alternative that actually is good for you? Because like, you know, Sammy wouldn't want to cook with beef tallow and she like wouldn't want me using that in the apartment, but there's got to be some healthier alternative. It's probably just like good olive oil. But yeah, that, that's been something I've been thinking about. I'm curious for your take on this and other business ideas. Yeah. So I think it's anything that comes from a plant, an, an animal or fruit. So I would imagine like ghee is probably a good option as well. You know, a milk product, animal product. So yeah, literally, well, I guess, oh, yeah, it's, it's, I was going to say it's, it's like the anti-vegan, but it can be plants too. So olive oil, I think like yeah. said, is, is good. I think that's an interesting idea about creating like a beef tallow brand and being early to market here when everyone is starting to, it's kind of like this exploding topic in Google, Google trends. I bet if you looked up beef tallow and I'll yeah, also, be so curious. Yeah. And there's like, there's also people out there who are really into eating like beef, anything from like animals, but also very natural things. So like unpasteurized like raw milk. I don't know if you've seen people talk about that as well on Twitter. So it's kind of a ancillary audience who's, they, they are definitely using beef tallow. So I think that's an interesting one. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know if we've chatted about this, but I don't think chatted it. I, maybe we've talked about it before, but my friend Hussein was very shocked to find out that something like lactose intolerance was a thing in the States. Just like going back to your pasteurized milk content comment, because in Egypt where he grew up, it's not a thing. Like no one's lactose intolerant. Maybe that's something that's cultural or maybe they just had it and they didn't talk about it. But his main takeaway was basically like, we add so much shit to our cows that has some impact on the milk that we drink, on the butter that we eat, on all the like the meat that we eat from the cow, that there's something going on that just doesn't exist in other cultures where it's there's so much more of an emphasis on like actually raising these cows right and not mass producing meat. And I think that that's something that we're also going to see too, is just this like, reversion to like really caring. I mean, people are already starting to care about this and pay a premium for meat that was grown at farms that were sustainably grown and everything is pasture raised and everything. But yeah, even that's really interesting just to like hear that inside of, oh yeah, we didn't even know this was a thing. Like you all deal with this issue of lactose intolerance. It's not even a thing in our culture. Mm. That is interesting. I mean, I do know there's a big movement of people who drink raw milk, which is unpasteurized, which this is not Medical advice, I personally, because <laughs> uh, you, I think you are running a risk of, you know, ingesting bacteria, which could really make you sick. But the idea that these people have is that basically the reason you have to pasteurize milk is like you said, you're like what the cows are eating isn't necessarily good. The way that it's being processed isn't as plen cleanly as it could be. And as a result, you need to pasteurize which is basically heating up the milk to kill all the bacteria, good and ba bad bacteria in the milk. Whereas if it's, you know, if it's the way the milk is taken from the cow is in a really hygienic way and the cow is eating really healthy things, there's really, in theory, no reason to pasteurize. And then you get all of that good bacteria when you drink the milk. And I think eggs is, this, is a similar idea. So there's a lot of people who who are that the movement is definitely growing it's actually illegal in a lot of states to even purchase unpasteurized milk because of the health risk so there's kind of some conspiracy angle to the to the whole thing as well yeah big big milk doesn't want you drinking unpasteurized 
They don't. <laughs> now I read the t- <laughs> so I'll, I'll throw up one other business. Hat. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I love putting on the tinfoil hat. There's almost nothing I like better than putting on a tinfoil yeah. hat. My favorite thing in the world. I, honestly, if, if I'm, if, my feeling is that this type of thing is niche and probably will be niche for a very long time. Now the niche is growing. So that's a good, that from a business perspective, that's good. There's riches and niches, but I still think it's niche. And I think the majority of people don't care about what they put in their body and they're not going to care about it. And that's fine. But I, I think there is still a movement of like more people are caring, right? Like that's, do you agree or disagree? I, I, I don't know if I agree or disagree. I need to pick my job off the floor after you just hit me with riches in niches. Like it was nothing. You just <laughs> Off the just drop that so casually in the conversation. <laughs> it was I was expecting. I don't even have a like, writing these for me. <laughs> you don't have a punch up guy. I don't have a researcher. No, I don't have a punch. <laughs> I was I was expecting you to follow that up with like a Mark Cuban, and for those reasons, I'm out. <laughs> there are riches and niches, but I'm out. That was amazing. I yeah, I agree. I think the pasteurized or unpasteurized milk thing that's gonna be probably pretty niche, but I think like there's always been a trend of people caring about what they put in their bodies. And I think there will be probably more of a questioning of like, all right, well, there are a lot of things that we were told are healthy. Actually, I think two things will happen. One is I think there will be a questioning of things that we were told are healthy, but may not be for us. Like we've been like told, okay, heart healthy, canola oil, much better for you than all these other animal alternatives. It's actually not the case. I think there are a lot of things that people will start to question as well. It looks like you want to hop in to so go for yeah, it. Yeah, no, growing up, I had, did you have smart balanced butter growing up? Have you ever heard of this? Dude, all the time. Yeah, my mom still uses Smart Balance butter. Dude, me too. And it's suitable for you. I loved it growing up. I chose Smart Balance. Like, that was the smart choice. Yeah. <laughs> Delicious. It was, it was a smart choice. Like, yeah. box, it was heart healthy. It's literally like omega-3 fats in it. And maybe it is healthy. I honestly don't know. But according to this, what you're saying, I think that it is all seed oils in there, right? It's like canola oil. If I'm if Totally. I'm, yeah, it's totally 100%. And I think there is... Something else that's been interesting is Sammy went through like this. She was, she's been pescatarian for a little while. She went vegan for a little bit. And after a couple of weeks, she stopped. She's now like vegetarian and that's it. I think she would probably describe herself mostly as like whole food plant-based, but vegetarian. And it was interesting because for those couple of weeks, I was focusing more on ingredient quality and looking at things that we were buying as she was like trying to figure out, okay, what are vegan alternatives? And even if I went to the grocery store, I'd try to figure out, is this meal that I'm about to make for us vegan? Does it uphold? standard so many of these vegan products are laced with so much shit that i'm not sure if they're good for you or not and i totally get the like animal rights issue with people wanting to go vegan but i think there was actually going to be a backlash coming up about all these vegan products which are trying to be alternatives to things that we have that are like actually animal based so let's take like vegan eggs for example or vegan cheeses or vegan butter but there are so many like chemicals in these products and i'm actually not sure they're good for you and i think that will be another thing that rises up yeah they're not good for you i like vegan food is not healthy for people necessarily at all and in in a lot of cases it's it's unhealthy and but i remember actually i i remember when i first moved to new york there's like a vegan restaurant and, I, and then i realized at this vegan restaurant it's all fried food and like it's not healthy it's just vegan so right and and People who are vegan are not necessarily trying to be healthy. Maybe some people are trying to be healthy, but I think it's, if you're vegan, it's generally about animal rights, I would imagine. And you don't necessarily care about eating healthy. 
it's just one extension word. I had a couple ideas, but one thing that I'm jealous of our kids about, not that we have kids, but I'm, I'm jealous of their generation about already is I really believe that the way that health is trending is everything is going to become much more personalized. It's not just going to be like in a vacuum, is this good or bad? But also in a like for you personally, is this good for you? And what is your body's personal reaction to it? And we're already trending that way. Like when I had levels, I was already able to glean that for my body, there were certain things that generated a glycemic response that was outsized relative to the average population. Like levels is all this data on how people respond to, for example, like rice and my body might produce a higher glycemic response than most people. And, and maybe that means that like, I can't eat that. Or if I eat it, then here are all these other ways I can get around it. Like maybe I go for a walk right after I have sushi. And I think that's the way that a lot of health will trend is we're going to have all these devices that are reading all this data in real time and able to tell you, this is good for you. These are situations in which this is good for you. And I'm honestly jealous of our kids because I think that this is going to be something that they grow up with and have like instinctually in them from the time they're born. Whereas like we have 30 years of bad habits and like bad information on what actually was good for our bodies. And even then we don't personally know at this point what things are good for us personally or what things are just like told to us are good because there's some health organization that is pushing it or because like for the average overall population, this thing is fine, but your body actually produces a bad response to it. So you should be eating it less or doing things to counteract the effect if you do eat it. Yeah, I think I saw Apple Watch is... I don't know how real real it is. There's a rumor that their new version is going to be able to test your, what is it, your blood sugar? Without blood glucose. Your blood, and that's what Levels does, but without actually, yeah. like, pricking you, right? It's really interesting technologies. And it's something that they've been rumored to be working on for a couple of years. Like, when I was interviewing at Levels a couple of years ago, this is like two years ago now, I was chatting with our CEO about this specifically and just asking him how that would impact his business. He thought it was a really good thing for him because like really their secret sauce is that they built software on top of these glucose monitors. They don't yeah. own the glucose monitors. They don't like necessarily like want to be in the business of building hardware. But if more people have access to glucose monitoring through a watch that Apple has on so many wrists, that's an amazing thing for them because then they, it just increases their TAM. And frankly, like I think it's a really good opportunity for Apple if they figure it out. Now they've been working on this for a while and it's been, I tend to trust that Apple will solve most technological issues. I know they've struggled with it until this point, because up until now, up until Apple, like work on trying to get a blood, blood glucose reading without puncturing your skin, no one's been able to do that before. There's this like new proprietary technology that they're working on where they can basically like flash this light on your skin and be able to detect from, from that like reading what your blood glucose levels are. I'm really hopeful they do it because I think it would be an incredible product. And I yeah. think it would like really continue to position Apple as, or the Apple watch specifically as like a must have healthcare device. And yeah. we've talked before, like we both chatted about how the Apple Watch might be this like low-key, amazing platform that no one is really talking about. But like it's that plus like maybe even blood pressure readings, like they're going to stitch together all these technologies just because they've always figured out the technological solution to these things. I think it's going to just turbocharge the Apple Watch. I think yeah. it's incredible that they're working on this and I really hope they figure it out. Yeah, I hope so too. It would be amazing to have that. And it would help a lot of people. And it is interesting how in the future, the Apple Watch is, could be just this cutting edge medical device that's affordable for anyone to have. And like, no one is going to be able to compete with Apple on that if they're truly making literal medical breakthroughs that no one else is doing. 
And, I'll throw and, another idea. Yeah, you know, okay. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I, I was just going to say on the levels thing, that does make sense. I think it would be very interesting what would happen. It, overall, it would probably be net good for them, but I could make an argument either way, I would say. Yeah. They could make the argument either way. It's, it's similar to Whoop. Like, does Whoop need its own device? Or could they just be built on top of Apple's platform where Apple, like, there's, there's no way that Whoop has a sensor in their watch that Apple doesn't already have. The only benefit, I think partially why Whoop likes that they have their own device is, well, I think it's like a branding thing for them. Like you can see Patrick Mahomes wearing a Whoop and it's very identifiable. One like actual benefit is that you never take the Whoop off or you at least never have to, even to charge it. Yeah. So if you want readings on people 24 seven, then until Apple gets to a point where they actually like truly have either a watch that you can wear continuously and it never runs out of battery, or you can like charge it in the same way that Whoop lets you charge it, where you can put a charger on top of it while you're wearing it then right. I, I kind of buy that argument. But there's no reason that Whoop should be in the hardware game. Like, there's no way that they're going to outcompete Apple on hardware long-term. And I do wonder if it's... I, I've been wondering if it would be good or bad for Whoop to just be a software player and build on top of Apple Watches going forward and just get people to yeah. pay a subscription for the data and the service. Yeah, no, that makes and, sense. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so I had a different related comment, which is, have you seen that Apple is probably going to launch a health insurance product soon? I did not see that, no. Okay, but d doesn't that make so much sense? Isn't that a really smart product? Like, think about your health insurance. They have really little data on you personally. They maybe have like some idea of what names you put in the past, but Apple has so much data on how healthy you actually are. They have like how much you work out. How, like, what is your heart rate reading? Pretty soon, what is your blood glucose letter? Like, they can put a pretty good algorithm together to underscore the risk or underwrite the risk of you as an individual person. And they have so many people wearing Apple watches that it makes sense to me that this would be the like next evolution for Apple. And another service product that they could un unlock is health insurance. I don't know if you have any reaction to that, but I thought it was a really interesting it, idea. Is, is it definitely happening? And, and is there any information on what it would look like? Like, would this be this? Are they going to simplify health, health insurance as well? So it's much simpler and not a terrible experience i'm assuming the way that it is I, or can they can they even do that within the construct of the system of health insurance you know do you know i would hope so i have seen very little details on it all, I, all i've seen is that they're probably going to roll it out beginning of next year but even that could not happen unclear unclear it's but yeah i agree with you health insurance is pretty fucked up my i have a few health the health care industry overall but go ahead. Reactions. One is it kind of makes sense. Apple is so big that they have to go into what these massive industries, and healthcare is one industry that actually kind of does make sense, and it kind of aligns with their their initiative into health and the Apple Watch and and all the things that they're doing there. And the data makes a lot of sense to me as well. The reason that I would be a little surprised if they do it is because of how messed up the whole healthcare system is and. I don't think many people are happy with their healthcare insurance. And I don't know if they're going to be able to like overcome how bad the overall system is unless they can come in and actually have a health insurance that is really good. And you know how much you're paying for everything that's happening and you know which doctors you can go to and it's really easy to use. If they can do that, that would be incredible. And I, I don't think they would launch it if, if they don't actually make the experience. It's not just going to be another health insurance. I imagine if they do it, it's going to be a significantly better experience for people as well. So I think it'd be really cool. Yeah. I will say it's a little bit 
there is something I think that's also personally makes me feel a little like icky about it is like one company that's owning every single part of your life. I don't re really like that. Like having Apple for. Yeah, I yeah, totally get that. All of my devices. And now they're my help insurance company and then what are they next gonna also own my house like it's it's there's a lot that's one other feeling on it i guess but if they can truly make it better i think it would push the whole industry forward too it's a really rational reaction i think that's probably a good takeaway and a good thing to remind yourself of yeah i don't think that's a good feature either one thing that could be interesting and i actually wrote down two healthcare ideas or two health insurance coverage ideas and i think it could integrate with one of them so I had this idea where like my company pays for my health insurance and all the employees of Ophelia are kind of just averaged together, right? Like when they go to whatever health insurance provider and negotiate rates, they're kind of taking a bundle of all their employees and negotiating for a massive rate and on all our behalf. But it doesn't take into, effect, into account that I'm a pretty healthy person and like I'm a, you know, I'm whatever like low risk profile. I almost never go to the doctor. I almost never have issues. I'm 30 years old. I go to the gym a lot. I, it doesn't make sense to me that my company would have to pay the same amount for my healthcare coverage as they do for the least healthy person at Ophelia. And I am wondering if maybe a different way for Apple to come in here would be to say, we're actually just going to be like a new player in the market where for all the health insurance coverage or companies overall, we're not going to compete with you directly, but we are going to help you figure out how to better and more accurately price healthcare coverage for all these individual people who most of them happen to have Apple Watches. And for the people who don't, we can even give them an Apple Watch to try and get a better idea of their risk. And for employers, maybe that's like a, a perk. Like if you are healthier, then we, you are cheaper to us and therefore we get some benefit. And for the insurance providers, they're like theoretically getting a better idea of the people whose health they're underwriting. And so there's some benefit to them as well. They get more data. And for Apple, it's like maybe a way for them to long-term develop a, a like actual health insurance competitor by figuring out how to first be a middleman facilitator in this market, and then later on to like create their own product and just cut out the health insurance providers completely. I do wonder if that's another way for them to attack the market is not necessarily to come out with a health insurance product at first, but instead to like help figure out how to price health insurance premiums better. And then maybe that's another way to attack it. But like knowing Apple style, that seems like it's not their style. They tend to want to do these like fully integrated, we own end to end this amazing customer experience product. So I, I doubt they do it that way. Yeah. But if like you were a competitor and you were trying to use Apple Watch data to help like create a product in this market, that could be some approach that you take if you were trying to compete. Yes, I agree. I think that makes sense to kind of come in as the middleman potentially. The, the one thing I will say about what you were saying about how healthier people should pay less. And I think to an extent that that is true. But in this system that we live in, uh, it, we kind of need healthier people to subsidize less healthy people. Because if you don't do that, then people who have pre-existing conditions are, there's a lot of things that we want to provide healthcare to people who are less healthy. And if we can't make it unaffordable for those people. So I think the system we live in is people who are healthier do end up paying more than necessarily they might be using and there might be ways to balance it out or like give you discounts if you are being healthy like things we've talked about before but i'm kind of i'm curious i don't know how that would work in a way like to to really make it like significantly less expensive for healthy people you know 
Yeah, I think we just got the title for our episode, which is Seth is a healthcare socialist. <laughs> I would say I am a healthcare socialist generally. Like, I think everyone deserves healthcare and like, I'm okay spending a little bit more than like I'm using in order to give everyone healthcare. I do think everyone should have healthcare. Yeah, I actually think that's a really nice philosophy. I think we can get into a political debate of like, who should be taking on that cost? Should it be people? Should it be companies? Should it be our government? Which I guess would eventually like come through us anyway. But I think that's a nice philosophy of like, I'm kind of paying it forward by being healthier and then offsetting the cost for someone who's less healthy. And hopefully we like all get healthier together and it's just like increases the average over time. But yeah, I don't disagree with you philosophically. philosophically. But how, how do we give everyone healthcare, but also create incentive for people to be healthy to lower their costs in some way or something like that, right? Because you, you, yeah. you have, have, health, have healthcare, but you also don't want to incentivize, or ideally you want to incentivize people to be healthy and not need to use the healthcare system in the first place, which is the best way to save costs on healthcare in general. So I think totally. we can healthcare in this episode if we, can, if we keep riffing on it. <laughs> I, I have a jumping off point from here, but I want to kick it to you because we just chatted about my well, stuff for like 35 minutes. So well, hit me. Okay. What do you got? I, I have a few things in AI again, but the first, first thing what I'll say is, <laughs> oh, surprise, surprise. I'm going to bring back about the seed oils I think the idea that I brought up in the past, which I'll, I will bring up again, because I still think it's a good idea, is, and maybe even build on it, because I don't remember exactly what I said, is almost like a monthly snack subscription for snacks mm. that are specifically non-seed oil. And whether that is, you know, maybe first, you know, curating the snacks, eventually you could even create your own snacks. But I think that would be really cool. That would honestly be something I would consider purchasing because it is really hard to buy snacks that don't have seed oils in it and like even at trader joe's even at whole foods it's very hard especially at trader joe's everything in there has has seed oils and it's it's very hard to purchase snacks and i think that would be really popular so i don't know that's a hard business because there's only so much margin in it but i i do think that could be really interesting and then eventually it could be cool to like have an e-commerce store that maybe the margins would be better because you you know, produce all your own snacks or white label them all with your own brand. So I think it, would, it could work. Yeah, I think there's something there because I feel like going down the some of the aisles at Whole Foods, I'm like constantly surprised by how bad some of these products that I thought were healthy for me are. I think cereal was the first one. We've seen some companies come out like Magic Spoon, Three Wishes, who have basically wanted to make it healthier. I think there's still some question about how healthy those actually are, but they're at least taking a stab at it. And then I think for snacks, there are like maybe some better options, but certainly you're right. Like it's definitely, there are a lot of not very healthy options. I think granola is another one where I'm consistently surprised by how much sugar and how much shit is in granola. I wonder if granola could be a good place to start. Maybe even like potato chips where I think that those are some that are like big culprits of seed oils and vegetable oils that they're cooked in. That could be one popcorn I've seen a lot. So I think there are definitely opportunities where if you wanted to take like a few of those ideas or a few of those products and make a healthier alternative, or by healthier, I mean, in this case, no seed oil alternative, that could definitely be something that could work. Yeah, for sure, for sure. There's also one app that I saw recently on Twitter called Seed Oil. Wait, did you just look at the chat? Did you, did you just share it? 
Yeah, dude, we're on the same page. Okay. I love this. Yeah, yeah, that's so funny. So yeah, they they built this pretty nice and seems like they're building a community of people who are sharing which restaurants like use seed oil, don't use seed oil, things like that. So pretty cool. I didn't really find I just thinking about how they get this data. Like, are they going in the back of the house and being, or like when they're ordering, being like, all right, so does the chef prepare anything with seed oils? <laughs> this could, what oils is chef using tonight? <laughs> but i agree that was a cool one that i saw too and i was surprised by how big of a following it had yeah yeah i guess i shouldn't be but i i I think it just underscores how big this niche is totally yeah okay so my a couple ideas i have and then i'm gonna throw a question at you so oh yeah we've already talked about a lot of alpha we've been throwing around here on this podcast we talked about seed oils a year ago we're constantly sharing good ideas, interesting ideas that people could use. So I'm going to give two AI-related ideas, which are ideas that they're not new. People have been talking about them, but I think they're wide open for someone to come in and build a really big business. And for some reason, I haven't seen anyone, and maybe it's happening, I don't know, but I haven't seen it being done really well. The biggest AI apps you hear about right now are like Jasper or like there was a company called Tome recently, which is like an AI presentation app, which by the way, it seems cool. I don't know if you tried it out, but I, I don't know. It's really cool. Know. It is really cool, but like that's, they got a very high valuation, but it's, it's pretty For cool. They're pretty, I have made any money off of it, but <laughs> so. Okay, I'll save my comment because I have a follow-up comment, but I want you to finish your point. No, no, go. Okay, we'll come. We'll come back to tones. I'm curious what you think. But again, okay. oh, sorry. Go ahead. So, so here's here's two ideas. One, basically, we've talked about embedding. We've seen these examples of like, ask my book, like where people are doing it, where you can ask questions. Like that's cool, but there just needs to be someone who is. Focus, building an app, focus on B2B sales and build a way for people, for companies to easily upload a page, pages of their customer support information. And then there's just going to be a little chat bot that it, it'll just, when you ask the question, it will answer it given using embeddings. And this isn't something that I have even like seen out in the wild of companies like using on their website yet, which also makes me feel like it's not something that has really been executed on really well yet. It's going to be executed on. This is going to happen. So I would say this is a wide open space that if I weren't, if I had extra time, I would probably do this business, honestly, because I think it would work really, really well. So that's that's business one, wide open opportunity. Business two, which is kind of similar. Honestly, I think it would be a little bit harder to build almost, would be co-pilot for support, which is basically like the same way you have like autocorrect for or autocomplete for coders or co-pilot. Every customer service rep should have autocomplete for their own, for answering emails, for doing everything, but all of it should be based on their own internal data. So there should be autocomplete for, for customer support. So I would say those two ideas, I think it's still early enough that no one has won this space yet, but it's a massive opportunity that can be sold to literally every company on the planet. One great idea. I totally agree. That's an inevitable future where this humongous cost that people have or companies have of scaling up a customer support organization, teaching them, 
like all this stuff should be able to be handled by some algorithm being able to go into your code and your internal product docs and being able to say, I know exactly how to solve your problems because I have context on literally everything. Like I can tell you exactly how to solve the problem that you're looking for and make it happen for you. That seems very inevitable. And like, could you get even to the point of your second idea? Like, could you get more leverage out of the people you already have? Is you just make it easier to get people the response they want immediately, which also just makes customers happier because I don't want to have to deal with waiting online to call someone and get a response just to handle some like our basic issue that should be able to handle it immediately. So I can just get it handled immediately when I go into a product. That's a great idea. And I know even on Lynn, I think last week they were chatting about a similar idea of could you have like this like little bot that lives inside of every product that you use that you can ask questions to and be like, all right, how do I do this? And you'd be like, okay, well, like based on our code, I can tell you exactly how to do this. And frankly, like, I think that that's a, a really interesting way you could do it too, is to try and figure out like, what is technically full with this product because of like my ability to go in and read their code base? Like, how can I like facilitate a payment? How can I get you a discount on this payment? How can I like do any of these things, like aggregate the data in a certain way? Is this even possible? Like, yeah, I could probably go into your code base and figure all this stuff out for you. So I think... To your point, like getting context on the code base and internal Notion docs on anything, and then being able to just be a customer service rep is frankly even like a hundred times better than any human customer service rep is amazing. I think it's a great idea and totally something that's going to happen. Yeah. And I'm, I'm honestly surprised that the space is still open. Like, I think that the entrepreneurs first went for the like text generation, like Jasper type companies. And maybe customer service is less sexy. So it's not something that people went after as hard. But I, I'm kind of surprised. And I'm sure there are entrepreneurs working on it. But there haven't been like the big winners that I think we've seen or the big leaders that we've seen in like text generation or image generation. Yeah, I guess two predictions I have. One that we're going to see, I bet companies are working on it. We're going to see announcements of those companies in the next month. I bet that's happening. Yeah. The other thing that's probably really interesting that's happening too is I bet that a company like Amazon is just doing this internally and even wondering if they should spin it out into its own service. So that could be like a surprise player in the space is a company like Amazon that has a huge incentive to reduce that cost because they hire so many customer support agents. And can they just figure out a way to like fill this for themselves and then spin it out into its own service like, like they've done for AWS, like they've done for other yep. services. So that could be like a sneaky bet if you're if you're like thinking about a bigger company that might just launch this themselves yeah totally i like that did you have something you wanted to go off of with tome oh yeah yeah, yeah. this is what i was thinking did you see that OpenAI announced a partnership with Kane, the consulting firm yes yeah we talked we chatted about this briefly yeah okay so i actually have like a tinfoil hat theory of what's going on here all right i I think my take or like my sense of what the reaction was when it came out was like, like whatever con big consulting firm trying to just look cool by partnering with OpenAI, what are they really going to do with this? And they even spun it a little bit in some of their promotional videos that I watched as like, we are going to help advise clients and be on the cutting edge, which is, I think the context that we talked about it in is like consulting for other companies and helping them figure out how to implement this technology. I think there's actually a really sneaky internal play for companies like McKinsey, Bain, BCG, Deloitte where if they can replace a lot of the analyst costs with something like ChatGPT or OpenAI services, then I think they're going to do so. And I'll tell you a couple of ways that I think they're actually going to make this work. One is, did you know that a lot of these companies have teams in India and over, overseas 
that maybe like me as an analyst, if I just joined the company, I would work on a slide up until like 9 p.m. And then I go to bed, but before I do, I'd send it over to India or like literally it's just teams in India. And yeah. I'll say, hey, can you like do this? And I'll give them instructions and they'll come back to me in the morning. I'll wake up with a much better looking version of my slide. And I think what's going to happen is I think we'll see these companies start to replace those costs, starting with like the overseas development costs with something like OpenAI and, and or Tom. And I think that's like, frankly, going to happen because they have such an incentive to make that happen. So that's why but I think they're also just going to start. I think they might even might even need fewer analysts and start to replace them with services like Tome or like these services that are aggregating notes about calls and assigning action items. The only thing that I think might prevent them from replacing a lot of their internal people costs, like at the analyst consultant manager level, is that they want a pipeline to promote people into partner and they want people to like continue and grow and, and like evolve in t inside their company. So I don't know if they want to replace people completely. But that's my sneaky view of what Bain is actually thinking and angling for with this partnership is they think it's actually like a really good way to get leverage on their business because they actually sell more hours or even have like partners work on more projects and sell more projects because they're able to extend the abilities of these analysts. And that's actually, sorry, this is my real point is I think that they're going to be able to scale up even more because they'll be able to have, they'll be able to outsource a lot of this work that they're doing, which is basically like slide development and model creation through these services like OpenAI or Tome, and then be able to just like have people work on more projects and maybe obfuscate what teams are actually working on projects because it's just like an analyst working on three projects at a time instead of one, and they're managing it by being able to work with some of these services. I'm curious what you think of that. It's, it's a very interesting and, and yeah, not, not an angle that I, I thought about. I guess the question would be, do cons these consultants, consultant firms like Bain, have an incentive to be more efficient when it's billed hourly or is can they structure their contracts in a way that it's fine and like they that's not an issue basically yeah here's the incentive is actually a lot of projects now are billed as like a or not even now it's just been this way for a while our build is like we're paying you this amount for the project and then it's on you as bain to figure out how you staff the project so, so you get it done but you get it done efficiently because the partner ultimately owns the economics of that project so the partner makes more money if they have a more profitable project which means they want fewer people working on it and they want to take on more projects because that means that they can like multiply how much they're getting for each project so if the partners all of a sudden can say yeah. okay well we can take on more projects and we can do it more profitably because we need fewer people for each project that is a huge incentive for partners of bain yeah. So yeah, eventually this totally is going to happen. The, it, the, these firms are just going to become more efficient and then make more money as a result. And yeah, that's, I, I think that take is totally accurate. That's kind of funny. Yeah. It's going to happen, but yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think that's a really good take. It's, uh, and then I, I mean, we can, so briefly our idea, if, if you're, you know, an entrepreneur, you want to start a business or you're some, even if you're just like relatively like tech forward type of person and you want to have a side hustle, I do think having a consultancy where you're helping companies integrate AI tools into their workflows, or even if you wanted to build like a small consulting firm doing that, I think you can make a lot of money doing that. And that, that would be, if I were starting a consulting firm, that would be the, the way to go, I think. And, and I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. There are already so many people who are working on companies and have money to spend, but like, just don't follow this and want someone to be able to teach them about it or figure out how they can implement it into their own product or team that, yeah, I'm sure there's like opportunities galore for making that happen. Yeah, totally. What was I going to say? 
yeah, no, but I, I think your take about, about, yeah, Bain and AI makes sense. It's interesting. I wonder if they, what the, if the analysts are going to start using AI and kind of how they're doing it internally and if other consulting firms are going to start doing it as well. You, I mean, I mean, kind of like it's, it's just interesting because consulting firms like sell strategy, but AI is kind of open sourcing and making strategy free. So it's, it's an interesting like dichotomy. And I, I think that where they're going to succeed is like, it is still, I think the human plus AI, which creates the best result, but a lot of the strategy is being going to be more available to people. Yeah. I still think, honestly, it's it like, I think it supports their current business model and operating model because they're still selling human intuition and business strategy. Yeah. They're just like scaling up how many projects they can take on because they can allocate their staff to more projects. And they're like making each project more efficient because they're allowing fewer people to work on each project. But ultimately, like a lot of what people, a lot of what they get paid for is the business strategy and insights. A lot of the work that they do and a lot of the costs of these consulting from Spare is having to hire these really expensive employees who are like glorified slide makers and Excel junkies. And that's it. And so if you can remove a lot of that cost, I think it's like totally aligning in alignment with their current business model and how they make money and why they provide value. So I actually think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, cool. I like it. A question for you. Any updates on your business idea about helping people automate the process of getting money back from insurance companies for going to the gym? Yeah. Okay. So I've now submitted claims for myself and one other person. And I've been talking to a couple of people about this, but I have like a few in the works. So that's one is, is we're at least like trying this. Two is a really interesting development, which I'm curious if you think this is a good or bad thing. I'm still making up my mind and I have an opinion, but I'm curious what you think of this. I was filling this out for this guy, Austin, and sent it in his forms. And then I was looking back at the requirements of what he needed. And I realized that there was a form that he didn't send me that we do need. And that was on me. I should have asked him for it. But I was thinking about the fact that like, it's such a cumbersome process and it's by design that it's such a cumbersome process. And I wonder if that makes it a good thing or a bad thing, because also what I'm imagining now is that I'm going to get probably a response for a lot of people that I do this for from these health insurance companies saying, sorry, we can't accept this for X, Y, or Z reason. And I think in theory, it makes it like, the fact that it's so annoying makes it a good opportunity because it means that it's something that people won't do on their own. Like they will only do it if it's really easy for them and as easy as just like submitting the info and I take care of the rest. But on the other hand, I, I do wonder if it's just going to be such a pain in the ass to try and get this reimbursement from the health insurance companies that it's ultimately going to make it a pretty non-viable solution because it's going to be so frustrating when you do all this work, wait weeks for them to respond to you and then realize, oh wait, you were forgetting something or they nixed it for whatever reason or, you know, whatever. I think you just have to see what that, how that turns out, right? I think yeah. In reality though, you should be able, like there might be a lot of short-term pain of figuring it out, but if you want to, if you do keep doing it, I imagine you'll get to the point where you'll, you'll know what the insurance company needs, unless they keep messing with you and like changing it because they don't want you to do it. But yeah, in reality, you're going to, you're going to figure out, okay, this was a nuance about this insurance company and we need to do it in this way. And you're going to have that internal knowledge. After yeah. I think that's true too. And I think that the way that this could ultimately work and be really easy for both the people filling this out and for myself 
is if I can get to a point where I could basically like standardize the data that I need for each health insurance company and then submit that as a standardized report alongside whatever like, you know, a printout or whatever form they generally need. But if I could basically just get it down to like every health insurance company needs proof of membership, proof of payment, proof of insurance coverage by this company, your own demographic data, information about where to send the check to and a signature, then I could probably facilitate that and just have it be all one standardized system and then send it out wherever it needs to go. And so that's like the way that I think I could see this ultimately working. One other question I've been debating internally, and I'm curious what you think of this. I, I, this is the part that I think would be maybe a little sketch and I'm not sure would fly, but I've been wondering about the payment collection part of this, which is like, typically what would happen is I would help someone fill out their forms. I would input their address and then the check would go back to them and I'd have to figure out a way for them to pay me. And I was wondering if as like a workaround, what if I just put my address as the return address and use their name and all their information, except for the fact that I put my address instead of theirs. So all the checks came to me and then just sent people back a very large percent of whatever check I got. And I was wondering if that could work. Like, could I just have everything go through me and then I just pay people directly? Well, the check would still be in their name. So, right. That's true. That's an issue. That's a problem. Um, hmm. That's something I would need to figure out. You can't just rely on they get a check and then they, out of the goodness of their heart, decide that they pay me. And I also think that it would be kind of annoying if I asked them for payment up front. Hmm. Hmm. Right, because ideally, well, I think one thing you could do is, I, I mean, you you might honestly need to get payment up front, but then refund it if it doesn't work, essentially, which is probably going to be the best way to do it. I was going to say, if you get their credit card on file, that could work, but you were you could at scale, you'll run into issues where that credit card charge fails basically when you're trying to charge them, then they already get their money. Maybe that's a low risk or you're willing to take that hit. So I think that's another way of doing it is they enter in their credit card, maybe even charge it a dollar just to confirm that it works. You could also connect a bank account. So I think there's different things to do, but if it were me, I would probably try and charge it first and say, hey, if this doesn't work, like 100%, you're going to get your money back. So, yeah. That's a good idea. How much time do you still have? question for your way I have, I have some time yeah okay so i think your question really hints at a larger question i've been asking myself recently which is what type of business do i want to start next and i think that this is a really good idea where if it's like i want to emphasize something that can make generate cash flow i can do it on my own it's pretty not easy but like simple to figure out how to scale it up like you're basically selling people free money and you're helping them capture it so that's not a very hard sales pitch and there's not a ton of technical complexity. It's like a great business from a lot of perspectives. But I've been reading the Steve Jobs biography from Walter Isaacson, and this is like an early carve out. So this is something that I've been reading and it's been really influencing my thought process about what type of business I want to start, which is that I really just, like I've always admired Apple a lot. And one thing I really admire, especially reading this biography, is how much Steve Jobs looks at his business as art. And that's both through the lens of him making Apple and really thinking like, I just want to create the best customer experience and money is a byproduct of that. Similar vibes for Pixar. Like when he joins Pixar and he really falls in love with the team and scales it up, he does it because he's like, these guys are artists. Technology is their canvas, but they're artists. And 
I really admire that. And it's something that I've admired for a while in, in like my favorite product companies. And it's something that I think I would like to do next. And I don't think that this is, this idea is art. And I, I think that I have this like yin and yang in my head of like, sometimes it's just really fun to build a business and get it working and see it make money. And I think there's a huge thrill in that. And then there's another part of me that's like, but I, I really just like love the idea of making art. And I, I don't know where I land on that. I also don't know exactly how that would impact what I do next. But I, one thing I don't want to deprive myself of is I don't want to make it so that the only concern I have is how do I start something that makes money pretty quickly, but is like not a magical product. And I think there are a lot of ways to create a magical product, but I'll stop there because it's, it's more of like a philosophical question about the type of businesses you want to start. And I'm curious if you have any reaction to that. Yeah, it's a really good thought. I would say my initial thoughts are, A, I think every business, every business is art and some of them might be prettier to look at than others, but every business is, even this business with the insurance, I think there's definitely an art to this, right? And you can also build it in a way that's really delightful for people and it's, it, you can make it art if you want to make it art. So I think that that's the first thing I'll say. I think not every business has to also be going for that goal of, of, you know, the most beautiful product necessarily. I would say that also can be something that I think that the most important thing is building a business that is going to give you the cash flow, which is going to give you the flexibility to build the really big thing and have the, the flexibility to do that. So that would be my priority of like, okay, let's figure out number one priority is, is making the business that is going to, I think if the flexibility now you can do a business where you're going to raise money, it's just going to take longer and you'll be and like, you know, get a salary and things like that. So I think it depends on what your goals are with, with like what you want to build too. But overall, you just need to be excited about it. So like if, if you're excited about this insurance idea, then that's great. Whether or not you think it's like the most beautiful product or anything, but if overall you're just not that excited about it and you much rather work on something different, then it's probably not the right business for you. Because no matter what, any business you do, if it's successful, you're probably gonna have to work on it for at least a few years. And I mean, you always can, you always can also do it, get it to the point where it's working and then sell it, right? And you wouldn't be maximizing your money, but you could build it, sell it, and have some money to build the next thing. So those, I guess there's obviously no right answer, but that's my initial thoughts. I think that's probably right. It's maybe too grandiose of an idea to think that everything you do is art. I think it's also like too reductive to think that you can't make any product artistic. Like the first product that came to mind, actually, even though I have some issues with the company itself, was TurboTax. Like it's actually a, a delightful experience to file your taxes on TurboTax. Despite the fact that it's like the most boring and ridiculous task that you have to do all year. And that they um, lobby the government. To, yeah, so, that's why I have issues with the company. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it's only a product that exists because they want it to be the tax code <laughs> to be so ridiculous. So I, yeah, I have issues with the company, but that was one that came to mind where it's like, wow, that's actually a, a delightful product experience, despite the fact that it is my taxes. And I think that you can even make anything that you're building a great product experience. So I, I think you're right. It's probably too reductive. I need to think more about it. I think it's on the short list of ideas that I think are interesting. And I have a few more that I think are interesting that I want to continue thinking about and working on. But 
Yeah, it's definitely on the short list. Yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah. I'm excited to see what you end up doing. So, yeah, man. I appreciate it. Uh, is there anything else you want to chat about? You want to chat about your AI ads? You want to talk about promoting no code MBA in Ben's Bytes? You want to talk about anything else or no? I can touch on those real quick. I mean, the email newsletters has been interesting. I've been doing a few different tests and sometimes they work better than others. Sometimes it's a little hard to tell exactly how well it's working, but I do have some tracking links, which, which helps a bit. I would say, I would say with email newsletters, some people just want too much money to make it work. I think they're getting a lot of money from certain brands who might not care as much about the math, but in some, so in, in some newsletters, it's just not worth it. Ben's Bytes, is, is, it, it actually did work. I would say overall it's profitable, but it's not as profitable as Twitter ads. So mm. it's a nice thing to do. I think that it's great to get customers, but I'm just having a hard time making email newsletters like insanely profitable as an ad channel. So I don't know. That's, it's, it's, still, it's still cool, and I, I probably will do it again. And it's a very targeted audience for people interested in AI who might want to learn to build AI products. So that's, that's Ben's Bytes and other email newsletter ads that I've been doing. For Twitter ads, that's still good, but they do, it's not as profitable as it was when I was first running it. And I've been trying to figure out exactly why. I think part of it is I do think Twitter ads may, may just be slightly more expensive than they were two months ago. I think, I don't know, for whatever reason, I like the cost to reach people. But it's always hard to know exactly why that is in the ad platform. But today I was working on new ads. I think I kind of realized and decided that I need to make that a priority of creating new ad content and just continually testing it out and doubling down on it. And because that's where a lot of revenue is coming from, I should be focusing on that. And it's not the most yeah. fun to do, honestly. But it, once I kind of get going and get started on it, it's it's actually kind of fun. But it does take a lot of creative energy to do it. I kind of have to be in the right mind state to to create it. But yeah, so so my goal over the next few weeks is just to spend more time on that each week, and then also more time creating like Instagram real content, other content like that, getting into the habit of that. So we'll see. But a lot of it is just prioritizing that stuff and making sure I'm making sure I'm working on the things that have the highest leverage with the business. Yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe Twitter ads were a case of giving away too much alpha. We gave it away. We talked about it. The people took our advice, started running some Twitter ads and, and they found out it was a profitable channel. And now it's becoming more expensive for you. Yeah, I don't know. It's the harm. It's just the problem with having leaking too much alpha. That's the problem <laughs> with our podcast. I think also with any campaign, like it might be the most profitable when you first get started and then yeah. reach a, a little bit more of a, a equilibrium, but it's still profitable. And I really should be spending more because it's still profitable. And I'm also getting a lot of annual customers, right? So then next year, every year in the future is going to be free. So I should really be be putting, I really should, given the numbers, I should be investing more. And I'm, I'm going to start doing that a little bit now. So yeah, I had a, okay, I had a crazy idea, which I don't know if it works. I don't think it does, but I was trying to think about alternative fundraising sources for startups and ways that you could try to get money to get off the ground and things that you need to spend money on. And ads seem like a very natural thing where like, yeah, like there are ways that you could grow for free, but there are a lot of companies that want to raise money and like plow money into ads. And I was wondering if that would be something that you could, like, could you start to 
unbundle venture capital to the point where you could say like, I'm not investing in the company overall, but I'm investing a very specific amount in this specific set of campaigns. And like, we'll get up to this return on my invested capital. And I was trying to figure out if that could work as a, as a thing. I don't think so, but I don't know. I, I'm kind of ripping off the cup. I don't know if you have a reaction to that. Well, yeah, it's interesting. So I think a lot of, a lot of VC money just goes towards ads in general anyway. So it's kind of what it is. Yeah. But like, are there companies that are more profitable where you have a better idea of getting return on, on the ad spend? And I would say, what was that company? What's the company that, that you can buy a return on ARR? A pipe. Isn't that kind of what pipe is? Like you're giving money and then they're going to use that on ads and you get more of a specific return. I guess so. Yeah. That's, I think, a really clever way of doing it. Because I was trying like to figure out how to make forward is what you're saying. Yeah. I think it's probably more clever because I was trying to figure out how to make the math work on this where, like, if I'm an investor in this asset class, I probably don't want to just, like, bet on one company. I would need to have the math work such that I have a portfolio of companies and it generally works out in my favor. But in order for that to happen, I'd probably need, like, such a ridiculous multiple on that cash if I were just, like, a straight up giving you money for an ad campaign. That I don't know if it would work like that. I think that pipes solution is frankly smarter. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But similar vibes. I think that's, that's right. That like, that's effectively what they're doing. Right. Yeah. Anyway, just off the cuff. It was something I was thinking about last week. I was like, you reminded me of that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Carmouts. Yeah. Let's do it. What do you got? Cool. Okay. I've got three. One was the jobs biography, which I already talked about. Really enjoying it. I'm, I'm really loving the biography. I can't believe I hadn't read it yet. Which one? Was Walter this? Isaacson. Okay. I've read, yeah, a really good book. Yeah. Really good. Yeah, it's awesome. I, I'm really enjoying it. I cannot believe I didn't read this. Also very surprised that Acquired has not done an Apple podcast yet. Mm. That is that's a- got to be coming, right? That's yeah. got to be coming down the pikes. Yeah. Yeah. I got to figure that's coming. Number two is Tim Urban on Invest Like the Best. And mm. he actually... There were two. One was from the past week because this book just launched. And I haven't read the book yet, but I bought it. And they mentioned a different episode that he had done in like 2016, which I thought was even better. It was exceptional. He was talking even way back then about OpenAI, about Elon Musk, about all these different topics where I was like, whoa, you could have had this podcast be in 2023 and it would have been just as relevant as it was in 2016. He's a really clear thinker and interesting guy. And I haven't read a lot of Wait But Wire posts, but it inspired me to want to read more of them. And the third one was Artifact, which I'm still, I feel like I'm gaming the algorithm a little bit to try and get it to know me in the way I want it to know me. Like I'm trying to very specifically search Washington Capitals articles and NFL draft content and gadgets and and some stuff like that. So I don't know if it really knows me well enough to say whether it's good or bad yet, but I'm enjoying it overall. I've displaced some of my Twitter time with it. And I think that's probably a good thing. Cool. Yeah. No, it's, I, that is interesting. I, I, I should use it more. It's the kind of thing where you have to use it in order for it to learn what you like to read. And yeah. I do get the sense that it's healthier than going on Twitter because you're reading longer articles. And I think that overall, that's probably a good thing. So yeah, no, I, I, I should use it as well. I, I, I was off the wait list like a couple weeks ago. And yeah, I should... brag. Yeah, yeah, I know. And and I also <laughs> I also just got off the waitlist for Bing. I don't know if you're you're still are you still on the waitlist for Bing also? Uh, I'm still on the waitlist, man. I'm still on the waitlist. 
I'm just a, a scrub over here. I'm, I have to like use chat GPT whenever I want to talk to anybody. You're already up the wait list. <laughs> okay. Car- I, so I, I need to use the Sydney. I, I haven't, I haven't used it yet, but one car route is I subscribe to chat GPT pro and oh, nice. I love that. What do you think of it so far? It's great. I mean, it's, it's much faster. You get responses extremely quickly. So yeah. I like having that. I really want to continue finding ways to use chat GPT and AI in my workflows just to make myself more productive. And even a couple of use cases I was using. One use case is for no-code MBA events. I'm using chat GPT to write the event description, which is amazing. Mm. Never yeah. description. I would never even write the event description. I would probably just do like three lines. <laughs> so it's literally, I don't, I don't know how I could go back to life when I wrote event descriptions. It's amazing for, and I've also been using it to write there and a lot of no code MBA projects. I wrote very short descriptions, but I'm right. I'm like using it to create longer ones to add in. So it just things like that. I'm, I'm finding it really helpful for, I'm trying to use it for like ideas to create ads and things like that. So I'm, I don't know. I think the more I use it, the, the better I'll, I'll get at it. But yeah. Yeah. I was actually curious when you were talking about one needing to be in a very specific mindset to actually crum, come up with ads. I was curious if you were talking about, or if you were thinking about using chat GBT to help you come up with content, or at least just like give you something to react to instead of having to stare at a blank screen first. It sounds like yes, but also like, I think a, a good avenue for us to go down and maybe next episode would be workflows and in, increase introducing chat GBT into our workflows. Cause it's something I've been trying to do too, where I use Copilot a lot and have been on the lookout for ways that I can even like supercharge how much I use it to even become more productive. And I'm sure I'm just scratching the surface. So I'd like to figure out how to do it more because I'm sure that there are so many things I do slowly that I could do much faster with ChatGPT. So that could be a cool segment for us to do. Yeah, I agree. We should try We should do that next time. Definitely. Okay. Other, other carve out is a carve out and a story. So mm-hmm. two for one special. So I got the, did I tell you I bought the PS5? You, you were told me you were thinking about getting it. You didn't tell me you got it already. Oh, I pulled the trigger. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, okay. How is Hogwarts Legacy? Is that part oh, of the story? I don't have the PS5 yet. This is the problem. So I ordered the PS5. And when you order the PS5, there's two different versions. One is the PS5. Actually, there's more than two different versions. But I wanted to buy the disc version, not the digital only version. So I could buy disc and with the disc version there's the just the console and then there's a version that's like the god of war version which includes the god of war video game i guess with it so it's like a bundle and it costs more but i i didn't want that game so i just wanted to get the console but you can't really buy just the console in most places you pretty much can only get they only have the comp the, the bundle available almost everywhere except direct from sony you can order the playstation so i did it direct from sony ordered it. It was actually supposed to arrive Saturday, never arrived. Then it said it was going to arrive yesterday, never arrived. There hasn't been an update in UPS for like three days. So the package is lost and I had to report it as a claim. And I, so here's what I think I'm going to do. So also, by the way, Hogwarts Legacy came in the mail today. I have the disc. I don't have the PS5. I also just need to find someone with a PS5 in DC. So Seth's going to get over there right now. (laughs) <laughs> he needs I to know. try this game tonight. Yeah, it's such a shame. But so what I'm going to do, I think, is so Amazon, literally on Amazon, 
I can buy a PS5, but it's the God of War version that has the game. But I can you can get it same day delivery on Amazon. So I'm probably just just do it. Yeah. Get that one. And then if that other one ever comes, then just return it. Either way, I'm gonna return it and and return the other one. So I'll probably just do that. But I don't really I feel like now that it's lost in UPS, I don't really want to wait because it could be like two weeks before they figure out what's going on. So yeah. I don't also I was trying to think like, could you just sell the God of War game on eBay or something? But I've got to imagine there are so many listings for God of War people in the same situation where they're like, <laughs> I don't want this thing. I just want to sell it. <laughs> no, I, I looked into that. You can. It's it's a digital copy. So it's a code. So you're selling a code. So you can do that. I need to look into exactly how to do that, but I, I probably will just do that. So that's that's how much is it? It's like $70 more for the God of War version. It's 60 more. So it's 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 not that much. I th- in the yeah. grand scheme of your life, I think that's okay. I think you'll get sixty dollars worth of enjoyment if you just maybe have. Maybe I'll play God of War. Maybe I'll enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. maybe you'll become a God of Warhead. Maybe you'll just become a. <laughs> yeah, but I don't, I, anyway, so I'll probably end up doing that. But I love that. Like be stuck in limbo. So anyway, I pulled the trigger. I've got Hogwarts Legacy. Let's go! I, I love it. Play it now. So I think it's gonna be awesome. Uh, I'm jealous. I have to come back to DC so I can play this with you. For real? Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Cool, man. Good episode this week. I like this one. Yeah, me too. Good episode. I'm going to upload. I have two I have last week's. I'll upload last week's and this week's and then edit them. So then we'll have a little two a double episode release for the people. Cool. Oh, cool. Cool.